James chapter 4 and then put a finger over in Hebrews 10. Today I'm going to share with you part four, which will be the last part in the series we've been on called No Ands, Ifs, or Buts. Uh, part one, we focused on the will of God concerning sin, sickness, disease, that there's two columns, life and death. Um, no gray area, it's one or the other, and you need to know God's will concerning life and death, what fits under what column, because your faith must be anchored in God's will, not his wishes or not your wishes, um, but his will, you have to know his will. Part two, we focused on the atonement, the reason Jesus came to die, not just for us, but in our place as us. And, and the, all of sin and its effects and the curse that was broken, what was covered under that atonement. Week three, we talked about walking in, and moving in mercy and how... Uh, to stay under, if you will, that life column and not get sucked back under that curse and not sucked back under that death column. How to walk in mercy and extend. Mercy is not just compassion. It's actual walking in compassion and extending forgiveness. It has to be that extension of forgiveness or it's just feeling sorry for people, which won't fix anything, doesn't do anything. So it has to be that um, mercy that extends that forgiveness. And it actually um, talks about it's not just extending forgiveness to those are, who are deserving of forgiveness. <laughs> actually, they wouldn't need it if they deserved it, right? But it's extending forgiveness to those who you know are wrong. <laughs> You're right. They're wrong. Or he's right. They're wrong. And that's the ones that need that forgiveness, that extension of forgiveness. And that's where we need to constantly be moving in all the mercy that we need ourselves. Um, I keep threatening I'm going to do a series on the word as. Because there's so many as's that Jesus says, love as, forgive as. And he's talking about just as I forgave you, you're supposed to forgive each other. Just as I love you, you're supposed to love each other. Just as you want to cry out, mercy, 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 he says that's how you should be walking. Now, extending that same mercy to each other that you want me to give to you. So part four here we're going to jump into, and sorry, it's so funny, every once in a while, all my messages, all my notes just go blank. Isn't that funny? Don't worry. It's there. So today in week four, we're actually going to be talking about, and I told you this last week. Sorry, I'm going to reset this while I'm talking. Um, I was sitting right there in worship, and God downloaded this next. I thought last week was going to be the last week, and then during worship... I just felt like God was saying, no, I want you to talk about sanctification and consecration. I'm like, oh, no. No. 
it's too old school. God, I, I really believe that, you know, we're supposed to be, I want, I always want to try to make things simple because I, I feel like if, if the church sets too high of a, a step, let's put it that way, that we'll feel it's unreachable and, oh, well, that's for you, but not for me. And that's this whole message, this whole series has been about no ands, ifs, or buts. It's not disclaimers that we see like, you know, a TV commercial I told you about that lists this huge list of disclaimers why you can't receive the same results as everybody else. I believe the church needs to set the word back to its simple form of it. Jesus said, come follow me. Well, you mean once I get cleaned up and once I get everything worked out and then I can... No. He went right down to the sea and, and picked out the the stinkiest, the, you know, if you want to call it, the, the worst stuff and said, you know, no, just as you are, come follow me. But I, I stink, you know, and, you know. Well, some of them might have even had a hangover. You know, what? Oh, you can't say that. Yeah, they might have, you know. And he said, it's okay, just come follow me. If he wanted the cleanest, if he wanted the best, he would have started in the temple. But he said, no, come follow me. Don't worry. You know what? I'm going to give you conditions. Conditions are better than disclaimers. Disclaimers, like I said, said, you know, list all these things that, you know, will remove you from receiving the same results as everybody else. But conditions say, you know, here's little steps. And if you just follow these little steps, continue to follow me, keep your eyes on me, and you'll receive the same results as everybody else. That's how the whole, have you heard the, the phrase that the ground is level at the foot of the cross? You heard that old saying? I like that. So it doesn't matter what background you come from. It doesn't matter where you are in life. The ground is level at the foot of the cross. So I like this, no ands, ifs, or buts. So when we're talking about today, we're going to talk about sanctification and um, consecration. It's real simple. It's a letting go of and a drawing near to. Letting go of and drawing near to. And that's what we're going to focus on today. Hey, it came back again. But the sanctification and consecration, no ands, ifs, or buts. Sanctification and consecration. It's two big Christian words that have been abused in the past by these legalistic zealots, if you will. And so we've disregarded those two words as if it's not required any longer. And let me again restate, it's not required before you come to the cross. It's required as you carry your cross. Okay? Jesus said, what? All those who come after me, what? Deny yourself, pick up your cross and follow me. Deny yourself, pick up your cross, and follow me. That's the sanctification and consecration. The letting go of and the drawing close to. Or leaning into. Letting go and drawing near to. Leaning into. So sanctification. 
<laughs> Let me, yeah, I'm sorry. Again, I believe we need to go back to the original meaning of the word instead of looking at the abuse of the word in practice. The old, you know, throwing the baby out with the bathwater. <laughs> You don't, you don't just say, well, because everybody's abusing that, and, you know, there's legalistic zealots out there that we don't have to. No, that's not true. Uh, ignorance is not bliss. Just because you don't know something doesn't remove your responsibility to adhere to it. And I happen to have a speeding ticket to prove that. I mean, it's not, not a recent speeding ticket. It was some years ago, 10 plus years ago, and it, my only speeding ticket, mind you, but it was, I was really thinking I was doing the speed limit, but I didn't realize in the four lanes of traffic going around this huge curve on this highway that it had dropped down to uh, whatever, 55 instead of 65 or 70 down to 60, whatever it was. It was 10 and course I was trying to pass somebody and so I was going a little bit faster than that you know what I thought but then it put me at 15 over the speed limit when the police officer pulled me over and I'm like but I didn't know he and he shrugged his shoulders he goes that doesn't matter I mean that has forever been over and over in my mind it doesn't matter ignorance is not bliss just because you did not know something doesn't remove your responsibility to adhere to it. So sanctification. Sanctification, the Greek word translated simply means holiness. Holiness. 1 Peter 1, 14 and 16 through 16 says, As obedient children, do not conform to the evil desires you had when you lived in ignorance. But just as he who called you is holy, so be holy in all you do. For it is written, be holy because I am holy. Sanctification, a letting go of. And then consecration is defined as being dedicated to a sacred purpose. Is there a sacred purpose we've been dedicated to? Jesus called it the great commission so consecration is a drawing near to a pressing into living a devoted life unto God fulfilling the great commission like an acceptable offering in service to God Romans 12 1 says therefore I urge you brothers and sisters in view of God's mercy to offer your bodies as a living sacrifice holy and pleasing to God. This is your true and proper worship. So sanctification, a letting go of. Consecration, a drawing near to or a leaning into. You'll hear that in my prayer all the time. Every time I pray, I talk about leaning into you. God, we're leaning into you. Leaning into you. A believer's life should not be a matter of what's right and what's wrong, but what's good and what's better. Again, the whole two columns, life and death. A believer's life should never be trying to figure out day to day, week to week, month to month, year to year, what's right and what's wrong. 
shouldn't. Because remember that story I've told you a few different times about the guy on the fence trying to make his mind up between heaven and hell? He's sitting on the fence making up his mind. A believer's life should never be on that fence trying to decide what's right and what's wrong. And always being in contention with other believers. Well, I believe it's right. And I believe it's wrong. It should never be there. Because if it comes down to what's right and what's wrong, you might as well picture yourself sitting on that fence. And remember the end of that story, who owns the fence? Satan. <clears throat> Satan owns that fence. He always has. Back in the garden, when God said, no. This is no, this is yes. <laughs> this is right, this is wrong. And Satan's little serpent voice came over and said, did God really say that? What was he trying to do? Let's suck them over to this gray area. Oh, I'm not saying it's wrong. I'm just saying, did he really say that? Why not? It's got to be okay. A little's okay. It's not wrong. If a believer is constantly trying to figure out what's wrong and what's right, I have to say, I would challenge you today to think, then where are you? If you're constantly trying to push what's right and what's wrong, where are you really? If you, in the grand right and wrong, in the life and death, where are you? Because it should always be a matter of a believer's life should be a matter of what matters most. What's more important. Not a right and wrong. I mean, that's the whole slap on the wrist, the two-year-old, you know, don't touch, don't touch. Really? There should be a maturity, a growing up or a growing into, a leaning into God, a letting go of and leaning and deny yourself, pick up your cross and follow me should be what matters more, what matters most. Sanctification and consecration, letting go of and a leaning into. James 4. I told you we'd get there. We use this verse a lot, this with Repeat this promise a lot. Draw near to God and he'll draw near to you. Draw near to God. He'll draw near to you. But when we read it in context, it's starting at verse 4. doesn't sound so flowery. You adulterous people. What happened to draw near to God and he'll draw near to you? You adulterous people. Don't you know that friendship with the world is hatred toward God? And let me just clarify. Friendship with the world is not talking about being friends with people who are in the world. Because that's been preached. That was that whole, you know, swung way too far. The one, You know, we're not supposed to be in the world. So let's all, you know, come away and hide in the church. And let's not get stained by the world. You know, that's not it at all. It's talking about being of the world means to partake of it in such a way that people can't even tell you're you're saved. That you're, you know, drinking the drunkards are, that you're, you know, living like, you know, the sinner. That that's what it's talking about, friendship with the world. 
It's talking about, have you ever, have you ever worked with somebody for, you know, five, six, two years even, two months even, and then find out, oh, you're, you're a Christian? And then think to yourself, I would have never known. Why? Because they didn't talk like one. They didn't look like one. You know? It, why? Friendship with the world. This is what it's talking about. Partaking friendship with the world. Being so intermarried with them that they can't distinguish. Doesn't mean to never be friends. All right. You adulterous people. Don't you know that friendship with the world is hatred toward God? Anyone who chooses to be a friend of the world becomes an enemy of God. Or do you think scripture says without reason what the spirit that the spirit he caused to live in us envies or jealously longs for us? He gives us more grace. That is why scripture says God opposes the proud but gives grace to the humble. Verse 7, submit, here's your conditions. Submit yourselves then to God. Resist the devil and he will flee from you. Come near to God and he will come near to you. Wash your hands, you sinners, and purify your hearts, you double-minded. Conditions, submit, resist, come near, wash, purify. Then he'll come near. Come near. This is a life of a balanced believer. And when I talk about a balanced believer, I'm talking about one who is stable, growing, and strong. Not a roller coaster Christian. That's yay, testify. Oh, what was he? Ah, oh. Stable, growing, and strong. So submit yourself to God. I'm to, when, when the Bible talks about submitting to God, it's talking about a marriage relationship. It's talking about the spiritual yes. He's down on one knee. He hands you the ring and says, will you? It's the divine yes. I'm all in. Marriage relationship. That's why, the, that's why marriage is under extreme attacks right now. Satan loathes the marriage relationship because it's a physical demonstration of the spiritual relationship we're supposed to have with the Lord. That's why it's so much under attack. That's why it seems um, what's wrong with it. It's fine. There's nothing wrong with just living together. Because Satan wants us to not hold that marriage relationship as something holy. If he can get you to downplay it, to look at it as if it's nothing. And why are you? I mean, we just had that sex talk with the, the youth on Thursday night. And why? Because the big idea of, you know, like one of them said, I'm looking around. Okay, he, that person's not there. Sounds like you're, you're trying to take away all the fun. You know, that's not even what the marriage is about. It's not about a place so that you can 
have sex. Because making love to people face to face, becoming one, is what it's about. That's what it's about. But if Satan can downplay the whole marriage relationship covenant, actually, let's just call it what it is. It's a covenant. It's actually, I could get real graphic, it's a blood covenant. It is a physical uh, uh, pattern of the spiritual. The blood covenant, the blood that was shed in the marriage relationship is the same as the spiritual relationship, the blood that was shed so that two can become one. Same thing. And if he can downplay that, oh, you can, you can do this and do this and have this. You can, you know, have your cake and eat it too. You know, you, you can do whatever you want to do and still, you know, God is holy, and, but he's supposed to be faithful and he's forgiving so you can do whatever you want to do. That's as absurd as you saying, I'm going to say yes at our altar in marriage, but I'm going to sleep with whoever I want to sleep with, and you better be okay with that and forgive me every night when I come home. <laughs> I've been married 30 years. This ain't no. Uh, mm -mm. And I'm not the immortal one, you know. I'm not the, you know, father who gave all, you know. And there's, there's nothing in me that could say that that's okay. Why do we think we can stand before a holy God and think that's okay? So anyway, the divine yes is the submitting to God. It's the divine yes. In this marriage, I'm taking that ring. I'm saying yes. I'm putting it on my finger. You are the one God. My one. We are one. So submitting to God, resisting the devil, and there it is, not being friends with anything he has to offer. I don't want anything you have to offer. Nothing. Submitting to the one, resisting the devil. Now coming near to God, and he will come near to you. Can you see this played out in this marriage relationship? Washing our hands, it says, and I... I mean, think about it. He says, washing your hands, you sinners. When Jesus was standing before the crowd that was yelling, crucify him, crucify him, crucify him. And the king is saying, come on, here he is, you know. He's supposed to be king of the Jews. Don't you want me to release him to you? And they're like, no, give us Barabbas, give us Barabbas. What did he do? He said, I wash my hands. I am completely innocent of this man's blood. Completely innocent. Washing your hands, you sinners. Wash and be completely innocent. Wash your hands, you sinners. That's the sin. That's the old man. But having nothing to do with, he's dead. Why? Because I'm coming near to God. I said the divine yes to him. And then it said, purify your hearts, you double-minded. Purify your hearts. What? Get everything else out that might 
try to take your affection away from God out of your heart. Double-minded man. Isn't that funny? Your heart affects your mind. And I'm going to show you that. That there's an order. When you say the divine yes to God, there is an, it has to include your heart, your mind, and your body, right? Just like in a marriage relationship, you can't say, honey, you have my heart, but my body belongs to somebody else. <laughs> no. Well, then you might as well go with that somebody else, because if I can't have all of you, I don't want any of you, right? Well, how are we supposed to love God with our heart, mind, and our strength? Heart, mind, body. It has to be all three. You have to give all three. Saying yes to God includes your devotion in your heart, your mind, and your body. And for the balanced believer, the stable one that's growing and strong, there is a specific order. It must first start with the heart. Then the mind, because the heart affects the mind. Purify your hearts, you double-minded. And then the mind, after the heart, the mind affects the body. If you get those three out of order, if you try to, to serve God with a devoted body first, then the mind and the heart will follow. It's out of order. If you try to serve God with a mind first, and then the heart and the body will follow, it's out of order. And let me just, let me just read this to you. Because this is where problems, frustration, legalism... All comes from when we get this out of order. When your mind devotion comes first, you'll reason out why you're not seeing God, hearing God, or receiving from God. You'll consistently turn to the natural, the world, for answers to your prayers when you don't see them answered, yet you confess that you still believe. He's also the one that will shrug his shoulders and reason that everything happens according to God's will anyway. If that were true, no one would be going to hell right now. Did you think about that? Is it God's will that anyone goes to hell? No, he says it's my will that none would go to hell. So to just shrug your shoulders and say, well, it's all God's will and if he wants us to have this, he'll... That will happen if he doesn't want us to happen. That will happen. Well, then why do you pray? That's, it's that same mind-devoted believer that will pray for healing. Why? They're double-minded. They're double-minded. Unstable in all their ways. The double-minded. So the mind devotion, if they're living... Um, a Christian life, mind devotion first, that's what will happen. That's what they'll say. That's what they'll do. When their flesh devotion, when their body devotion comes first, not doing wrong will always be their first focus. Not doing wrong. Don't do that. Don't do that. Don't do that. Don't do that. Why are you doing that? Why are you doing that? Why are you doing that? Don't do that. Don't do that. Who do you think you are? A constantly growing list of self-denial must be adhered to in order to expect to receive anything from God, even a listening ear. And they become their own idol. 
whether a standard for believers to look to and follow me, or as a victim, they're helpless, they're, you know, unwanted plight in life, or even a wretch. Even as a wretch, I'm so unworthy, I'm horrible, look at me, I'm, don't look at me, don't look at me, don't look at me, don't look because I'm horrible, I'm a worm, I'm a wretch. They become their own idol when their body devotion is first. But when your heart devotion comes first, the little things in life don't frustrate you like they used to. Mercy and forgiveness is extended freely. You are not easily offended. You're not on this perpetual roller coaster of highs and lows. Why? Because your heart constantly reminds you and keeps you focused on who you're committed to and what matters most. There is an order to the, mind, the heart, the mind, and the body in your devotion. You do this in your earthly relationships. You know this in your earthly relationships. Oh, my heart just flutters when he comes near. Why? It's got to start there. Because then it affects this. And then if it, if it starts here and affects my mind, then my body just naturally does this and does that. <coughs> Sanctification and consecration, heart, mind, and body, it must be in this order, no ands, ifs, or buts. It must begin in the heart. Hebrews 10, let me just read this to you. Starting at verse 22, it says, Let us draw near to God with a sincere heart. There's the beginning of it. And with the full assurance that faith brings, having our hearts sprinkled to cleanse us from the guilty conscience and having our bodies washed with pure water. Let us hold unswervingly to the hope we confess or profess. For he who promised is faithful. There it is, drawn near with a sincere heart that cleanses our mind and washes our body. Going on in Hebrews 10, picking up in verse 24. So let us consider how we may spur one another on. Nobody likes that verse, do they? Spur one another on. Did you know it was within that context of that scripture? So we just read, draw near to God with a sincere heart, having your heart sprinkled to cleanse you from a guilty conscience, having your bodies washed with a pure heart, hold unswervingly to the hope we profess. Let us consider how we may spur one another on toward love and good deeds. Not just go around and spurring people. Hey, take that. Yeah, yeah. Because now what are we doing? Oh, what are you doing? Don't do this. Don't do that. Don't do this. Now we're body first. But spur one another on to love and good deeds. When you spur somebody on to love, what are you trying to do? Whoa, 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 whoa. You just got out of order. Remember, heart first, love. Spur one another, one another on to love. Spur them. Get back in order. Isn't that what you do with a horse? Hello, where's my horse people? 
Do you spur just because you want to? Take that. Ugh. No, you spur. Why? To get them back into focus. What are you doing? You're going out of... Don't go... No. You know, give them that little... Oh, you know. That's what we're supposed to do. You're getting yourself out of order. Don't look at that. You're getting easily offended. You know that means your heart's out of order. Come on, get back in line. Why did you just get upset last week? Why are you frustrated? Why are you... Spur them on to love. Come on, remember what matters more. Remember what matters more. Heart first, heart first. Mercy, forgiveness, heart first. Spur one another on to love and good deeds. And let me just say, if you swing your head and bite at the one spurring you, what good can come from that? When somebody tries to spur you on to love and good deeds, try to help you, hey, you're getting out of order here, you need to focus on right here what matters most, and you swing your head, what would you do? Horse owners, what do you do to the horse that swings around and tries biting at your leg when you spur them? You don't want to say it, do you? You whip them, don't you? Or you spur them harder, right? Ah, what benefit is it for you if you spin around and start biting at, well, don't tell me, I know who you are, don't tell, I know, don't tell me I need to do this, I know what you do, and do you think I chose this? Do I want it? Yeah. Spur one another on to love and good deeds, love and good deeds. Read, read Proverbs. Wisdom, 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 wisdom. The righteous, the king, the wise one. What? Talks about receiving a rebuke. Receiving discipline. Receiving a corrective word. The fool refuses it. The wise one welcomes it. You're right. You're right. I shouldn't do that. You're right. I did get out of line. You're right. Why did I get frustrated over that? You're right. Or don't say nothing. If you get spurred and somebody's trying to encourage you, spurring you on to love good deeds, and you want to back at them, the best thing you can do is hold your tongue. Don't say anything. Take it to God. Why did that hurt so much? Well, it usually hurts more when you're going too far. Because if they're just looking left or right, the horse, you just have to give a little spur, right? Little spur, a little correction. You might not even need to spur them. You just kind of need to grab on the reins a little bit, right? It hurts more because it was pretty deep. Your turn was going pretty wide. Sanctification and consecration, a letting go of and a leaning into. Listen, Jesus is coming back for a bride with out spot or wrinkle and it says a bride who has prepared herself I can't prepare you I can't prepare you now I'm a little confused right now I, I know I hate drawing attention to the clock but that clock saying it's 10 after 10 and that countdown clock saying I'm five minutes over it's only 10 after 10 hallelujah Thank you. 
Okay. All right. Sorry. Jesus is coming back for a bride, a church. You know, you're all a bride. Yes, men, even you. You're all a bride who's preparing herself without spot, without wrinkle. I can't prepare you. I can give you instructions that you take back into your chambers. But you have to prepare yourself. You will not stand before God on that day and blame it on me. You won't even blame it on your wife. You won't blame it on your husband. You won't blame it on your past. You won't blame it on life. You won't blame it on anybody or anything. Excuses are the devil's camp. Blame, shame, devil's camp. It makes no difference what has been done to you in your past. And I know sometimes that feels heartless, but it doesn't matter. I mean, I could show you two scriptures right away, and it, I'm getting to the place God's working on me to bring all these addresses back to my mind real quickly. But I know there's two places where he said, I've given you everything. Oh, love. He says, what can separate you from the love of God? Can anything, and he names all this stuff, can anything. The one thing he leaves out, past. It's not listed in there. Not even your past can separate you from the love of God because it can. Because if you're anchored into your past and you think that you're defined by, defined by who you are or what's been done to you, you cannot come to the place where you can receive the full love of God. Because you constantly feel unworthy and you'll hold God off at arm's length. Your past can separate you from the love of God. And the other part is over in the other part of the Bible. Um, actually, I think it's in 1 Corinthians, where it says our inheritance. You've been given everything. Here's everything you've been given. And he, and he leaves, he, he lists um, the present, the future. You know, he, he's, he lists all these, all this is yours. What he, what he doesn't list is the past. Why? Because when you give the divine yes to God, you surrender everything. He said the dead man is gone. Why? He purchased that. That man is dead and gone. He purchased that past. It's no longer yours. So that's not part of your inheritance. So for you to say that I can't receive or I, I can't because of it. It's not, that's the only thing that's going to keep you from a, a holy marriage covenant, a, that sanctification and consecration that will keep you strong, growing, and stable in your Christian walk as a believer. He's coming back for a bride without spot or wrinkle that's prepared herself, which means there's no excuses. Get ready now. You have to prepare yourself. And I wish I would have done more studies on this, but sometimes I get lost in the details. Back in the Bible days, in the old days, it wasn't a couple hours. Nowadays, it's... Who's getting married next? Danae, right? How many hours do you think 
Josie, you're a good friend. How many hours do you think it's going to take her to get ready for her wedding? A lot. <laughs> she just said a lot. This is this is on recording, you know. It's a lot. What, four? Maybe four hours? Four hours. Do you know it was weeks and months back in the Bible days for a bride to prepare for the ceremony? Weeks to months to prepare her. That there was rituals that she had to go through and all these things that she had to do to prepare for. Boy, if we went back to that that way, I don't know if anybody would have, I don't got no time for this. No, why? Because it was a holy thing. Wash your hands, you sinners. Purify your hearts. It was, it was such detail in the preparation that it made that celebration of and that coming together that much more special. I waited. I mean, what is it to say nowadays? For two virgins to get married, to look at each other on their wedding day and say, I waited for you. When they're 17, 18, not much. When they're 30 some, a lot. You know, I've got a niece that's, I hate to call her age out, but how old is she? 34 years old that is still waiting for that kiss from the one that God has for her. So for her to say that on her wedding day, I waited for you, means a whole lot more than four hours on a Saturday. A bride that prepares herself is not something that you can click your heels together and I've arrived. It's a deny yourself, pick up your cross, follow me. It's a constantly letting go of and a leaning into, drawing near to, constantly, constantly, constantly. Hebrews 10 goes on to say, and I'm wrapping up right now. Amy, you better come back. Hmm? I still have lots of time. Oh, Crystal. Oh, I saw Amy. Sorry, Crystal. How dare you confuse me. Hebrews 10, I've shared this quite a bit, but goes on, again, in the context of what we're reading. What we're reading in the context Remember, we started with the draw near to God, having sincere hearts, hearts sprinkled, cleansed, guilty conscience, having our bodies washed. Let us hold on unswervingly, lean into, consider how we can spur one another on. Come on, come on, stay together. I love that. The whole team, spiritual warfare camp, said that. That they would be punished if they left anyone behind, if they tried to get ahead of somebody else. Why? We're the, all the body of Christ. Without spot or wrinkle. So what do we do? Just cast out the one with spot or wrinkle. No, we're supposed to spur them on. Why? Because we're all God's children. Even the worst sinner out there is still God's child. That's why we need to mercy, mercy, love, love. The good news. Preaching the good news. Spurring one another on. Consider how we can... Uh, Spur one another on to love good deeds, not giving meeting together as some are in the habit of doing, but encouraging one another and all the more as you see the day approaching. And then he goes on right here in verse 26 and he says, If we deliberately keep on sinning, 
after we have received the knowledge of truth, slip the ring on and said the divine yes to God, and yet we continue to commit adultery with the world against God. There's no sacrifice for sins left, but only a fearful expectation of judgment and a raging fire that will consume, and there it is again, the enemies of God. It's not calling the enemies of God the ones that are out there spitting at him on the cross. It's the ones that have the ring on the finger and said the divine yes to God, but they continue to do what they want to do and sleep with the world. The adulterous one. He said, anyone who rejected the law of Moses died without mercy on the testimony of two or three. How much more severely do you think someone deserves to be punished who has trampled the Son of God underfoot, who has treated as an unholy thing the blood of the covenant that sanctified them, and who has insulted the Spirit of grace? Wash your hands. Wash your hands, you sinners. Purify your heart, you double-minded. Draw near to God. Listen. I've quoted this scripture before and had people come up to me. You're taking that out of context. That is totally not God. God is a merciful God. Yep, he is. But I believe there is a limit, a precedent of a limit to the amount of mercy that he extends. And where that is and when that is, nobody can say. Because just like with, if you've got six children or 13 or however many I have anyway, you never set the same standard of you can ask me three times and then it's gone or you can, you know, do this so many times. It's different for every child because you know where their heart is and now you've went too far. And that's what the scripture is trying to say. You never know when that is where it went too far. Because yes, you're right. For a two-year-old to keep reaching at the same thing and keep getting their little hand, no, no. There's going to come a limit. When he's five and still reaching at that same thing and I'm still having to tell him, no, there's going to come a limit. When he's 10 years old, still reaching for that same thing, there's going to come a limit. I've got a friend of mine who his daughter is, actually he's a worship pastor at Living Hope Assembly of God. His daughter, um, I can't remember what the disease is called that she's got. She needs bone marrow transplants. Um, and I think she needs them like a lot, you know, like I, I don't think it's just one surgery, but anyway, um, one of the most, I, I guess, painful procedures for a donor and a recipient to undergo is that bone marrow, I believe, uh, transplant. So let me just say in, in the context of the scripture, you have a child, son or a daughter, who wants to donate to somebody else. Let's just say to this man, 
call him George, who wants to donate their marrow, bone marrow, to George, right? Why? Because he's got a horrible disease and he needs it. You have it. You want to give it. You can save his life. So you allow your child to donate their bone marrow. And then as they're at the hospital and they're getting released and your your child is so excited, they got to save George and George is going to go off in the list. The doctor gives them this list. Now you need to stay away from this stuff. Because why? It's going to jeopardize your health and you can find yourself right back in here in the hospital needing the same procedure again. So stay away from these things and you're encouraging George and your child is encouraging George and you're so excited for their healing and off they go. Well, two months, three months, four months, George is seeing all of his friends doing all their things. And then he reasons, well, your child has more bone marrow that they could donate if something did go wrong. Right? So why can't I? I mean, come on, were you trying to keep me from fun? My friends are all doing it. They're all okay. And your child has more bone marrow. How many times are you going to let George come back to you and take from, harvest from your child? To where he is trampling underfoot, treating as an unholy thing the sacrifice your child is giving. There's going to come a limit. Sanctification and consecration. It's interesting to note that our devotion to God through our heart, mind, and body is only available because Jesus came to save us completely. Heart, mind, and body. Save completely. Sozo. We love because he first loved us. We're able to say yes to him because he's down on one knee. Again, it must begin in the heart and that's where I want to close the altar with is it was David called a man after God's own heart that wrote Psalms 139 that says where he cried out to God search me O God and know my heart he knew that it begins with the heart and he said try me and know my anxieties do you realize that if you struggle with worry it's because you don't understand your worthiness. You have a, a twisted view of your worth in God's eyes if you struggle with worry and anxiety. And it starts right here. There it is. What will hold you back, separate you from the love of God? Your heart. Right there. I'm not worthy. I can't receive that. He said, search me, O God, and know my heart. Try me and know my anxieties and see if there is any wicked way in me and lead me into the way everlasting. A letting go and a leaning into. A letting go and a leaning into. And that's what we should be praying every day. Why? Because it's your job to prepare yourself. 
if I wouldn't scare you all and make half of you pee your pants, I would have screamed out right there, Bride, it's time to prepare yourself. Prepare yourself. Wake up, you sleeper. Why? The time is drawing nigh. Every day, search, search. Have him search you. Ask him, search me, know me, test me, try me. Wednesday, we're gonna draw. We're gonna dig into this a little bit more. I believe we're gonna look at Romans chapter five and into chapter six. We're gonna dig into this deeper, and I encourage you to come on Wednesday nights because we do do that. We get into a, a little bit deeper, and then we practically apply whatever God's telling us that night. We apply it right then. So Wednesday nights. What time do they begin? Because we're here really early. They start at 7. The prayer meeting starts at 7. There's open um, personal prayer, you know, where you can just soak in with God. That starts at 6.30 or 5 or 5.30 when we get here. Um, that you can just get along with God. But at 7 o'clock, we start prayer with worship, um, word, and then we pray for each other and, and apply the word. So come out on Wednesday nights. Um, but that's how I want to close today is that scripture, Psalms 139, that David cried out. So would you just stand with me? And like we said last week or the week before, I can't remember where it was, but the, like the blind man, the, the beggars, you read it over and over again when Jesus was walking the the, the world, the earth, what did people cry out for? Mercy. Lord Jesus, have mercy on me. Jesus, Jesus, mercy, mercy. No, shh, quiet, quiet. Scream louder. Mercy. Have mercy on me. We need to spend time at the altar today crying out. Have mercy on me, God. Why? Because I have been an adulterous one. I've professed that my devotion is with you. I profess. I said the divine yes. And I am yours, Lord. Yet my heart is divided and my mind has been double. And I've been constantly back and forth and back and forth. Unstable in all my ways. And my body seems to be the one that trips me up constantly. Because I keep putting it first. And I need a right heart alignment. I need a spurring on today, Lord. Cry out for mercy, mercy, mercy. God, forgive us, Lord. That you've called us to be a holy bride without spot or wrinkle. And yet our heart and our mind and even our body at times have been so divided against this covenant relationship with you. And we cry out mercy this morning, Lord. Mercy, mercy. Forgive us, O oh Lord. And as David cried out to you, we cry out right now. Search our hearts, O oh Lord. Search our hearts. Search our hearts. Point out any place in our heart that's that's worrying or, or filled with anxiety that 
would cause an awareness in us right now that we haven't received our, our full value, our full worth, that we don't understand that. And let your love flood those areas of our heart right now. We let go of our past. We let go of the world. We let go of those pet sins. We let go of those things that are drawing our attention away from you, our devotion away from you. And we let go of them right now. And not just today, but every day, God. Search us every day, Lord, to let go every day of something else, little by little, little by little, little by little. And as we let go, we lean in closer. And as we let go a little more, we lean in closer. Sanctification and consecration. We know that there's a divine purpose. are bowed, your eyes are closed. I just got to ask before we, we have everybody come up to the front. If you're here today and, and you heard the message, you're saying it's it. This is it. Today's the day I need to say the divine yes. And maybe you've said it before in the past, but you know that you slipped that ring off and you took off and ran your own way. And today's the day you need to, you need to accept the yes from God. And submit to God today. Today is the day. And you want us to pray with you. I want you to raise your hand. Because I, we'll do that. We'll pray with you. We'll partner with you. We'll come around you. Today's the day. I don't want to move any farther. Yeah, I see your hands. This is it. This is your day. The divine yes is here. Today's the day to stop playing games. Today's the day to give up. Running after your own way. Running after what you want. This is it. I need to do that today. seen you. I know who you are. I'm going to pray with you when we call everybody up to the altar, but that's what we do around here. We call everybody up to the altar because this is where it gets cemented in. This is where the word, the seed that I just spit out to you, God then tills up, pushes down in the good soil of your heart. We pulls out all the stinking jinx, stinking jinx and junk weeds and everything else pulls all that out and cements that seed in there and then begins to water it right here before you even go out and it will already begin to sprout roots 
in your heart. If you don't just run out when the when I say amen or come up to the altar, this is where real life change happens. And we also want to pray with the ones that raise their hand that this is their day, divine yes. And I also want to pray with those that came in, you've got a sickness, a problem you want prayed for, a pain in your body, um, it's all healed. Healing is here, complete healing. The same faith it takes for salvation is the same faith it takes for divine healing. On Wednesday night, we prayed for seven different cases of cancer. And the same faith it takes to receive Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior is the same sozo healing, complete healing from all cancer, all sickness, all disease. Everything. Emotional struggles, emotional turmoil you're going through, bondages, habits, whatever you want to call them, all broken. Same faith. Same, same salvation. So let's do that. Let's come up and I want you to find a place at the altar and just start crying out like David did. Search me and know me. Search me and know me. Search my heart, oh God. If there's things that you need to confess and let go of right now, do it. Do it. Actually, the Bible says that when we confess our sins one to another, pray for each other, you will be healed. You will be healed. I mean, Jacob told me that they learned this at camp. You know, you know, you can recognize sin easily if it tells you, shh, be quiet, don't tell anybody. That should be the big, da, 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 da. that's a sin. If it tells you, shh, be quiet, don't tell anybody. That's the one thing you need to confess to somebody. Why? Pray for me. Then you will be healed, saved, set free, delivered. But if you always shh, be quiet, don't tell anybody, you cannot be saved, set free, healed, and delivered. So start praying for each other. Talk to each other. Ask God, search me. Search my heart. Search my heart. Search my heart.